Greetings to you all and welcome in the name of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great to see you all out on this Lord's Day. Uh, before we begin our worship service, just want to call your attention to a few announcements. Uh, they are in your bulletin. Uh, one big one is that next Sunday we will not have fifth Sunday dinner in light of the construction that's continuing in the Family Life building. Uh, so in lieu of that, we will have Sunday evening service, usually fifth Sunday. We do not have a Sunday evening service. We will next Sunday. And as I'm speaking about Sunday evening, I'll remind you, um, this isn't just the Lord's morning, it's the Lord's day. And so we, we encourage you to attend Sunday evening worship if you are able. And uh, it's been a blessing to see the, the turnout in the weeks since I've been here. Another announcement that's not in your bulletin is my family and myself will be moving this week, uh, Thursday and Friday. So if you think about it, say a prayer for us, just that 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 move will go well and that I'll find time to prepare a couple sermons for y'all for next week in the midst of the process. So again, there are other announcements in your bulletin. Uh, Please take a look at them. With that, we will take a few moments to prepare our hearts to worship the living God.
Let us stand together as God calls us to worship from the 135th Psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. Now let's sing together hymn number 12, Exalt the Lord, His Praise Proclaim. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful to be a part of the church of the living God. And we say with the psalmist, O Lord, our hearts are not lifted up. Our eyes are not raised too high. We do not occupy ourselves with things too great and too marvelous for us. But we have calmed and quieted our souls like weaned, weaned children with their mothers, 
Like weaned children, our souls are quiet within us. Help us to hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Would you receive our praise? Would you receive us as your people? And would you condescend now to draw near to us as we draw near to you in worship? And now hear us as we pray together, as your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we will now confess our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed, which you can find in your bulletin if you need them. I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. One of the privileges of corporate worship is that we get to corporately take our concerns to the Lord, and so I'm going to lead us now in a time of prayer. Uh, if you would, let us pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise, to remind ourselves and to confess that your steadfast love endures forever and that your faithfulness endures to a thousand generations of those who love you and who call upon your name. It's a time to remind ourselves and to confess that the Lord is our shepherd so we lack nothing. Father, some of us are going through trials at this very moment. We've had flooding. We've had fires. We have those with physical difficulties. We have those who are struggling spiritually, struggling emotionally. Lord, remind us today that you are our shepherd, that you can meet our needs then even when it seems that we are lacking, we lack nothing. For you make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls. You lead us in paths of righteousness for your own namesake. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cups overflow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. 
and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God to be, than to be rulers in the house of Satan and your enemies. So swell our hearts with gratitude and thanksgiving that we're able to come here today and give you the glory. Do your name. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We will now receive God's tithes and our offerings.
Let us pray. Father, we have nothing that did not come from you. You own the cattle on a thousand hill. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But as a token of gratitude, we give back to you now what was already yours to begin with. So please receive our tithes and offerings, bless them, and use them for your own glory and for the sake of your own name. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's open our hymnals now to number 87, and we will sing The Lord's My Shepherd, I'll Not Want. I'd invite you to turn with me now to the 27th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at one verse, verse 46. Charles Spurgeon said of this verse that it contains an ocean of meaning and a drop of language. And uh, we're just going to barely scratch the surface of what is here. Matthew twenty seven forty six. Before I read it, let's pray. 
Father, send out your light, send out your truth. Let it lead us to your holy hill, the place you choose to dwell. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, 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 lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this ends the reading of God's word. So we've spent the last number of weeks in a series that I entitled Transfigurational Living. And what I meant by that, based on 2 Corinthians 3, is that the Apostle Paul tells us that the way we change, the way we grow in the Christian life, the way we make progress, is through beholding the glory of Christ. Seeing the transfigured, glorious Christ transfigures us. It changes us more and more into his image. So we've been thinking about that concept for a number of weeks. For the next three weeks, counting today, uh, we're going to look at my top three. Three principles for how we can actually live transfigured lives. And the first principle today has to do with prayer. So you know that Christ, if you're a Christian, you know that Christ has died for you. You know that eternally you're saved, that you're going to dwell in God's house forevermore. You know you're meant to live in communion with God. Well, you also know that prayer is the primary means by which He's given you opportunity to commune with Him during this life. And so you ask yourselves questions like, um, do I wish that I prayed just a little bit more? Do you really wish that you had something to say to God when you opened your mouth? Do you really wish uh, that you had a guide to teach you how to pray? If your answer is yes to those, then there's something very profound in this passage for you today. Learning from this passage about prayer can change your life the way a child's life is changed when he learns to read. It's that profound. Well, how? This passage shows us at least three things about prayer that are transfigurational. So three points. First, that prayer is a language that is learned. Second, prayer is a language that is liturgical. And third, prayer is a language that's meant to be lived out. Number one, prayer is a language that is learned. In our passage, we get to see some of the last words of Jesus before his death. And you've read probably all these deathbed sayings of, of celebrities and gurus. You expect somebody on their deathbed to say the most profound thing that they've ever said in their life. And, of course, you look at Jesus here. His proverbial deathbed is hanging on the cross as he's about to breathe his last. What does he say? He actually prays. And he not only prays, he quotes Psalm 22 when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Luke's gospel, in Luke 23, Luke records the very last breath of Jesus. This is 2346 of Luke. It says, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. So Luke's last words of Christ, what's he doing there? Again, he's praying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And where did he get those words from? He got them from Psalm 31, verse 5, which says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. So in Jesus' most 
painful, most desperate moments in his life. He doesn't say something new and profound. He says something old and profound. He goes to the book of Psalms, which shows us that prayer is a language that is learned. And it's meant to be learned from where? From the book of Psalms. Psalms is, our, is the book God has given us in the Scripture to teach us how to pray. Do you really think, and, I'm, and I mean this in all sincerity, that you can just come up with what you need to say to God from your own inner resources? Do you think that since he's given us a prayer book right in smack dab in the middle of the Bible, that he might actually want us to learn from it how we're to communicate with him? You know, you learn, when you're a child, you learn manners. You learn how to properly communicate with people. Are we not to properly learn how to communi- communicate with God? I mean, think about how we learn language as children. How do you learn to speak? You copy. That's all it is. You copy what you've heard. Why is it that those of us who are from the South sound different than those of us who are from the North or from Europe or wherever? Why do we have accents? It's because we learn to speak by copying those who are closest to us. And see, prayer is the same way. It's a language that's meant to be learned through copying what God has given us in the book of Psalms. One of the greatest problems I think that evangelicals face in America is that we think we have to figure out everything on our own. It's like we have to come up with new ways of doing church, new ways of doing prayer, new ways of doing devotionals, new ways of doing sermons. Um, But that isn't the picture that the Bible gives us of what the Christian life and what church should look like at all. Just for example, Hebrews 11, the great uh, heroes of the faith, the hall of fame of the heroes of the faith, so to speak. Verse 3 of Hebrews 11 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he begins the chapter by saying, Believing in God as our creator is an act of faith. But then starting in verse 4, all the way through the end of the chapter, he gives us all of these men and women who lived by that faith in the world. It starts off with, by faith, Abel offered a pleasing sacrifice to God. And then by faith, Abraham uh, obeyed God and went to a land that he had never been to. What that chapter is communicating to us is that we understand that spiritual realities are invisible. But these invisible realities receive substance. They are evidenced. They are borne witness to by the men and women of faith who have come before us. The author of Hebrews is telling us that we need people around us to show us what faith looks like. It starts by looking at the men and women whom God called his own in the scriptures, but also in the community of faith in the church. We need examples We need people to copy. And prayer is no different. We need something to copy. I cannot stress this point enough because I learned it the hard way over the course of about 20 years. This is a new reality to me, which we're going to talk more about. But there's an old quote that says, books are made out of books. The author starts out as a reader, and the things that he or she reads are what develops that author and turns them into the author they become. Um, And it's the same with living. Our lives are made out of lives. Our lives are made out of little fragments and copies of the people whom we've been closest to. You know, they say you become kind of the amalgamation of your five closest friends. That's what you become. Our lives are made out of lies. We're all mixtapes in a sense. That's one way I like to put it. 
were all these fragments and these copies of those whom we patterned our lives after. And everyone knows this is true. I, I see you shaking your heads because we know it's true. But for evangelicals in the church, we have the hardest time admitting this. For instance, uh, when I was in seminary, um, our, our professor in my preaching class said, don't try to be Charles Spurgeon. None of you will ever be the next Charles Spurgeon. And I went to him after class and said, well, who exactly do you want me to be? Because if, I'm going to copy somebody. Right? So I'd rather copy somebody good than copy somebody bad. We have this hard, you know, we live in this individualistic society that says, you be you, you're a precious, unique snowflake, you know, grew up on Mr. Rogers, saying you're all special and unique. How do you learn to be special and unique? You still have to copy people. So the question is going to be, am I going to copy good examples or am I going to copy bad examples? I got to meet uh, one of my favorite fiction authors a number of years ago at a book signing at Lemuria and Jackson, and only five people showed up. So I actually got to sit down and talk to the guy. It was really cool. And I just asked him, I said, how did you learn to write? And he said, well, I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I wanted to write, so I sat down at my typewriter, and I pulled out Ernest Hemingway books, and I just started typing his short stories after him, just copying them. And then after I got done with Hemingway, I started doing it with Shirley Jackson, and then with another author, and then with another author. And he said, eventually... I got the feel for how they wrote. I got the feel for how a story moves, and I began to develop my own style. He said, I copied them at first, but after there, I copied four or five different people, I started becoming kind of myself. What's the point? Prayer is a language that's meant to be learned, and God has given us the book of Psalms to help us learn it. If Jesus learned to pray the Psalms in his moment of greatest need, we need to learn to pray the Psalms as well. That's point one. Point two, prayer is not only a language that's learned, it's a language that's liturgical. And here's what I mean by that. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he did not, as his hands were nailed to that cross, he didn't have a copy of the book of Psalms in his hand. So where did he pull those quotations from? He pulled them from memory. He had sung, over the course of his 30-some-odd years of life, he had sung the psalms, he had prayed the psalms to the point that they became a part of who he was. And in any moment of need, he could pull them out of his pocket and he could pray them. Uh, have you noticed our theme in our hymns today? We have, we've sung two psalms so far today, and we're going to sing a third, a third one when we're done. Uh, you know, the, the Scottish church, where our heritage comes from I don't remember the exact year but they sang nothing but psalms for a couple of centuries nothing but psalms and we've got to the point where we hardly ever sing them I'm talking about PCA Presbyterian world you very rarely hear psalms sung why is it important to sing them because through singing them over time like your favorite hymns you memorize them and when you memorize them in that moment of need when you don't have time to open a bible you can pull it out of your memory. You can pull it out of your own mind. When we talk about liturgy, every church has a liturgy, even if they don't call it a liturgy. And what we mean by that is our order of service, the, the traditional way that we do worship. And I would have, at my previous church, we celebrated the sacrament of the Lord's Supper every week. And I would have people ask me who visited the church or who I'd have conversations with about the church, 
they'd say, doesn't that, you do it every week, doesn't that make it less special? And the response I developed over time to that was, you know, try telling your spouse once quarter that you love them and see if that makes it more special. Actually, well, anyway, your marriage won't last long. Repetition, frequent observation of the Lord's Supper, frequently reading and praying the Psalms, reading Scripture every day, having a set liturgy for worship. The point of that, it's not meant to make it old and you know, that we're just supposed to be the frozen chosen who we just jump through hoops every week. It's meant to drill the core tenets of our faith down into us so that we can pull them out in a moment's need. I tell this story regularly, but years ago, I was talking to an older, very wise minister just looking for advice in the ministry. And one of the first things he said to me was, does your church recite the Apostles' Creed every week? And at the time, my church did not. And so I said, no, very infrequently do we recite the Apostles' Creed. And he said, you need to start reciting the Apostles' Creed more frequently, and here's why. And he went on to tell me a story that when his father, when this minister's father, uh, was suffering from dementia, and his mind was slipping away from him, they put him in a nursing home. And this minister said, I would go with him every week to the chapel service at the nursing home. And it was amazing. Some weeks, he, would, he wouldn't know who he was. But the minister would say, Christian, tell me what you believe. And the Apostles' Creed would come from memory. Just like that, and he'd begin to recite it. And I tell that story, and people will come and tell me stories. Similarly, I had another man tell me not too long ago that his favorite part, he would go to a nursing home with his parents to chapel, or with his mother, who, again, had dementia. And they would pull out some old hymn to sing, and she'd sing that hymn from heart, as if she had no memory problems at all. See, liturgy, repeating the prayers of the Psalms, repeating the Lord's Prayer, reciting the Apostles' Creed. It's meant to drill these realities, these words, down into our hearts so that we can make them our own and so that we can have them. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, his, you know, Spurgeon's favorite book to read was The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And he said of John Bunyan that one of the reasons he loved him so much was because when you read his books, it was almost like you were reading Scripture because he had so saturated his mind and his heart in the Bible that when he wrote, it was almost like Bible was coming out. This is a quote that Spurgeon said about Bunyan. He said that if you pricked this man and made him bleed, you would think that his blood type was Bibline. It was like he bled Bible. I love that. If I bleed during prayer... I want to bleed Bibling. I want to bleed the Psalms. I want to bleed God's Word back to God. That's the idea. But the only way that can happen is if you keep saying them, if you keep reading them, if you keep singing them, if you keep praying them. Eugene Peterson has a book called Under the Unpredictable Plant that's based on the life of the prophet Jonah and lessons you can learn for ministry and for the Christian life from Jonah. If you want some afternoon reading... The book of Jonah will take about 10 minutes to read. In the second chapter of Jonah, when he is in the belly of the great fish, he utters a very profound prayer. And I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but that prayer is based almost solely on quotations from the book of Psalms, from Psalm 18, from Psalm 31, and Psalm 116. When Jonah got in the belly of the fish, he prayed the Psalms. When Jesus hung on the cross, he prayed the Psalms. Well, here's what Eugene Peterson says about the fact, based on the fact that Jonah's prayer was based on the Psalms. He says, 
Our culture presents us with forms of prayer that are mostly self-centered expression, pouring ourselves out before God or lifting our gratitude to God as we feel need and have occasion. Such prayer is dominated by a sense of self. But mature prayer is dominated by a sense of God. Prayer rescues us from a preoccupation with ourselves and pulls us into adoration and pilgrimage toward God. For 1,800 years, virtually every church used the Psalms to shape the prayers of the people. Only in the last couple of hundred years has it been discarded in favor of trendy devotional aids, psychological mood benders, and walks on a moonlit beach. This is the church's consensus throughout history. The Psalms should be prayed daily. This is the office of the Roman Catholic Church. This is the Book of Common Prayer of the Anglican. And for the rest of us, the Psalms divided into 30 segments and prayed through monthly. Augustine called the Psalms a school. Ambrose provided a livelier metaphor. He called the Psalms God's gymnasium of prayer. In the Psalms we go for daily workouts, keeping ourselves in shape for a life of spirituality. See, the repetition of the Psalms, the liturgy, the praying them, the reading them, the singing them, this is God's gymnasium where he teach us, teaches us spirituality, where he teaches us what a spiritual life looks like. This is why Jesus prayed the Psalms in his greatest moment of need because he had been in that gymnasium, been in that school his entire life. So prayer is meant to be learned. Prayer is meant to be a part of a liturgy that drives the truth into our hearts. Lastly, prayer is a language that's meant to be lived out. So back to our passage. Jesus is not only quoting Psalm 22. Jesus is not only praying Psalm 22. He's actually living out Psalm 22. He's living it out much, you know, David originally prayed that prayer in the Psalms. Jesus is living it out more fully than David ever did because he is experiencing the wrath of God on the cross and experiencing a true sense of what it is like to be alienated from God as he tastes the punishment and the wrath that our sins deserve in that moment. He has a sense of being forsaken by God. And Psalm 22 gives him the language to express that reality. This is the key of this point. The Psalms... Give us words to pray, no matter what we are going through. You can express every emotion. My professor Derek Thomas used to say it all the time. The Psalms give us the key to expressing every emotion that we can ever experience to God. When we are happy, we can say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. When we want to give thanks, you say... I can't get into the whole story of my testimony. Some of you have heard it. But I remember one of the ways God paved the way for me to become a Christian was when I was 18 years old, on a pitch black morning, 4, 4 a.m. or so, riding a John boat through a ditch to get to a duck blind. I started seeing shooting stars left and right, and I thought the sky was falling. turned out it was a meteor shower. I had never experienced a meteor shower before. And on this morning, I was blessed to be in the darkest place you could possibly be in northeast Arkansas to get to witness that meteor shower. And I was laying down in the boat to keep out of the wind because it was freezing cold. And I wasn't driving the boat that morning. 
And I remember thinking to myself afterwards, talking to my friend who was duck hunting with me, and I said, I was just like, that was amazing. What do you do, what do, you do with that? Well, what I wanted to do was say thank you to somebody. But it's like, who do you thank for you getting to see a meteor shower? Well, I didn't know that you were supposed to thank God because I wasn't a Christian at that point. I knew nothing about God. But say you want to say thanks. It's like you just had a good day and you want to say thank you. Well, it just so happens there's Psalm 100. And you know what the superscription right above Psalm 100 says? It says a psalm for giving thanks. If you want to give thanks, praise Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to a thousand generations. What if you're afraid? We're going through the emotions, the gamut. You know what Billy Graham said? And this is, no, this is no Catholic or Anglican, right? This is the old Baptist Billy Graham. He said that one of the problems he had in life, he often woke up in a start in the middle of the night, afraid. Billy Graham. And you know what he did with his fear? He said he always prayed Psalm 23. He would wake up, he'd be afraid, and he'd say, The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie. In pastures green he leadeth me. The quiet waters by. If you've ever been persecuted, if you've ever had people try to ruin your good name or ruin your reputation, if you're struggling at all, we're going to look at this psalm in, in detail next week, but I'll say today, go pray Psalms 42 and 43. I dare you. Pray them like, read it, say, God, I'm going to make these words my own. Hear my prayer and pray Psalm 42 or 43 and see what it does, does to you. Defend me, Lord, and plead my case against a godless clan. Deliver me from fraudulent, unjust, and wicked man. O God, in whom I refuge take, why have you cast me off? Why must I, grieving, mope about while foes oppress and scoff? Send out your light. Send out your truth. Let them lead me to your holy, dwell, holy hill, the place you choose to dwell. Then I will to God's altar go, to God my exceeding joy, and render thanks to God my God, the harp I will employ. O oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Why so discouraged be? Hope thou in God. I'll praise him still. My help, my God is he. That's Psalm 43 from the book of Psalms uh, for singing, which I've used over the years. I highly recommend. It's much easier to memorize poetry than it is straight prose. But that psalm, I hesitate to say it's my favorite, 43, but it's right up there. And I'll tell you more about why next week. But just to give you an example of how practical this idea of just praying the Psalms, drilling it down into your experience, living it out. Last week, when I left town to go back north, um, I was here by myself, and I was really excited to go back and see my family, uh, but also sad that I was leaving, and sad that it was a shortened work week, and I knew my week was going to be chaotic and was going to involve a lot of labor in not only preparing for our move here, but also just, just in life in general. And I kind of woke up feeling sorry for myself, as I often do. And I did what I've, I've... Psalm 43 has been a part of my prayer life nearly every day since late last year. And so I said, Lord, I'm going to make these words my own. And I started praying them. Defend me, Lord, and plead my case against a godless clan. Deliver me. By the time I got to, oh, my soul... Why are you cast down? Why so discouraged be? Hope 
thou. You hope in God. I'll praise him still. I don't know what happened, but it's like the gates of heaven open, and I had one of the best times of prayer that I've ever had in my life. And if I don't go, see, you know, they tell people, when you're tired, that's when you least want to work out, right? But when you're tired is actually when you most need to work out because working out is actually what gives you energy. By the end of the workout, you actually have got more energy than you did at the beginning. And see, it's going to that gymnasium, that school of prayer that is the book of Psalms. It can energize your prayer life and you'll actually feel like you're beginning to live it out more than you ever have. You'll go through a hard time and you'll say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by the end of it, you'll say, wait a minute. God hasn't forsaken me. Jesus prayed this. This was Jesus' prayer. He was forsaken for me so that I know I'll never be forsaken. There are days when you don't feel like praying. You don't want to pray. There are days when you don't pray. You need to go to school. You need to go to the gymnasium. Because if you don't pray it, you'll never live it. And when you don't feel like it, close with this. James K.A. Smith, who's a Christian philosopher who teaches at Calvin University. I enjoy his writings very much. I listened to a podcast with him recently where he recounted one of the hardest things he's ever had to do in his life. This is a quote. He said, the hardest spiritual experience I've ever had was our niece, his wife and him. Our niece Sophie died very suddenly and tragically when she was 17 months old. And our extended family come from a very free church tradition. I'm not a pastor. I'm not ordained. I'm a Christian. I'm a teacher. But my wife's sister and her husband asked if I could help officiate the funeral. This was a nightmare. And we got to the final song, and we were going to sing In Christ Alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. He says, I looked down at the parents of this 17-month-old girl who had died and said to them, we are not asking you to sing this. We can't possibly expect you to sing this, but we will sing for you. When it feels like you can't possibly pray, God has given you the Psalms so that David, so that Moses so that the sons of Korah, so that Christ can pray for you. And if you'll allow them, if you'll dive into those words and allow them to pray for you and with you, nine times out of ten, you will find yourself praying. You will find that you are never without something to say to God, even when it feels like you have nothing to say. And in those moments when you feel like you can't muster up words of your own, when you're praying the Psalms, it's then that you'll find you're actually most living them out. Because even on the cross, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What what is there to say? He said that so that you can know when you pray. When you pray that specific prayer, that you've never been forsaken, that you never will be forsaken, because someone was forsaken in your place. And this is just very, very practically speaking. None of you are going to be able to say you left this place not feeling like you were told to do something, right? Very evident what God's showing us here. If you make it a regular practice of prayer, I use the Book of Common Prayer app on my phone, which reminds me every day, three times a day, works you through the Book of Psalms. You can just open up the Book of Psalms and start praying them. Just say, God, these 
or your, this is your word, I'm going to make it my own. And you pray them. The Psalms will lead you into places that you can't get to on your own. They'll stretch you. They'll pull prayers out of you that you wouldn't be capable of praying otherwise if you hadn't started in the book of Psalms. Prayers that you never would have prayed on your own. So you want something practical. Open up the book of Psalms and say, Father, these are your words. Now I'm making them mine. Let us pray. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we take these words from the psalmist. We make them our own. And we ask that you would give us hearts that desire to worship you, to commune with you deeply, in prayer, to read the Psalms, to pray the Psalms, to remember the Psalms, so that we might never find a moment when we're without something to say to you. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. And let's stand together now and sing our closing hymn, which is also a psalm keeping with our theme of the day, number seven, from all that dwell below the skies, number seven. Now receive God's blessing. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore as we continue this, our short earthly pilgrimage. Amen.